0: Welcome to season three of the Irish Baptist College podcast. I'm your host, Davy Ellison. I'm the director of training at the college, and I'm excited to bring you a brand new season of podcast episodes. Recently, we invited you, our listeners, to ask us anything, and you did. Uh, and so this season is all about answering those questions. The hope is that through these episodes, you might uh, find some helpful answers to your questions. More importantly, however. We hope that rather than simply offering answers, we might also uh, learn how to think biblically and reason logically. And uh, to help us with that today is Dr. Sarah Dalrymple, um, our Old Testament tutor. So thank you, Sarah, for sparing time and uh, joining us on the podcast this afternoon.
1: You're welcome. Great to be here.
0: Good. Well, we are glad you're here, Um, me especially, as I look at the list of questions that we have to work our way through this <laughs> afternoon. Um, but let me start with an easy one. Um, What have you been up to recently? Have you got up to anything interesting or exciting in the last few days or weeks?
1: Well, a couple of things. Um, um, booked for a, a, a city break. So that was exciting and it's still exciting to look forward to that at the end of May. <laughs> that was uh, a, a really nice feeling to at last um, have the prospect of getting away. And then the other thing. Yeah, well, we had an encounter with St. Patrick last week um, in the person of David Luke. We had a, a week of outreach in our <laughs> church in Ballymoney, and St. Patrick arrived. And uh, busted a few myths uh, about the man himself, and we had a really good time together, um, learning about St Patrick and about what he believed and the gospel that he uh, brought and excellent. propagated.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, I'm sure after watching David Luke act out St Patrick, um, you're more than ready for a city break. So <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to hold on for a few more weeks, but um, it's on the horizon. Um, excellent. Well. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we're going to start with a couple of questions that I've been asking everybody who um, have who, who's came on the podcast. Um, and, and so the first question is just about influences on your work. So who have been the greatest academic influences on, on your work, Sarah?
1: Well, <clears throat> several names come to mind, but I, I think I have to start off with um, Desi Alexander, okay. Um Desi has been a, a, a role model for me in a variety of ways. Um, I first encountered his work um, when I read his little book, uh, The Servant King. Mm. Um, and it's a book really that sums up the direction of Desi's, Desi's work, and and I hope of mine as well. The, mm. the fact that at the heart of the Old Testament, there is this expectation that God will send a a unique king, mm-hmm. um, associated with the, Di- the the Davidic dynasty, and that this king will bring uh, God's promised blessing uh, to the the nations of the world, and and ultimately sacrifice uh, his uh, his own life uh, to atone for the sins of others. But um, aside from the direction of Desi's work, I've I've just been impressed. Um, Ever since he he became my supervisor for my my uh, PhD thesis, I was really impressed by his and his attention to detail, really. Um, but also on the other hand, by his emphasis on and his concern for the big picture mm. um, of biblical theology. Um, and Desi has been working. for for 40 ish years he's now semi-retired but all that time i think it's fair to say that he has been right at the center of of what we might call a, a, a kind of a renaissance uh in in terms of um christ-centered uh, study of 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 the scriptures and of the old testament in particular and just mm-hmm. the whole field of biblical studies so um, yeah, Desi would be the yeah. first in line, I think.
0: For sure, you rarely come across someone who is uh, working in the evangelical sphere in the Old Testament who uh, hasn't benefited or enjoyed some of Desi's work um, to, to some extent. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Um,
0: I have another name,
1: if I'm Keep allowed going, to, yeah. uh, to contribute yep. that. Um, <laughs> another Irish man, actually. Um, and this man's life has been really devoted to the, the 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 teaching and the study of the old testament as well notably the book of isaiah you'll guess probably that i'm talking about alec mateer and uh, i read somewhere that Matir once said i'm not really a scholar i'm just a man who loves the word of god <laughs> but he was a, co- a scholar yeah. of course and a world uh, renowned scholar at that but he was also a very humble man and, and he committed his life really mm-hmm. to teaching ordinary Christians to understand and love the Old Testament and he's he's Mm -hmm. written a a little book loving the Old Testament and that really sums up his life and and his ministry. Uh, But I remember in particular the very first time that I dipped into his his massive commentary on Isaiah. I was away in Switzerland for a rest and a break uh, when I was working as a missionary in France. I got a few weeks off and I took the commentary with me and I really just had my heart warmed as mm. well as my mind quickened and engaged by what he was writing and what I was reading.
0: Excellent. Well, you've already put all of us to shame, Sarah, because uh, Matthias Isaiah commentaries your holiday reading. <laughs> 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 On that occasion, yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. And um, well, the next question, I suppose, you, you've touched on it a little bit with these two examples and influences on your work, but um do you have any tips or help um, for us in terms of engaging in theology and study of scripture with uh, rigorous academic uh, attention, um, but also maintaining that uh, relationship with God, um, mm. whether that's... Uh, whether you want to call that white hot devotion, some might uh, debate whether it always has to be that. But that devotion um to God alongside academic study. So any tips, advice, pointers um you want to share with us?
1: Well, I suppose um, experience uh, as much <clears> as <throat> as much as advice. And I'm not sure about the <laughs> white hot, but either. But uh, <laughs> obviously, the temptation for those of us here engaged in. The theological um, education and so on, is that you come to Scripture with a, a scholar's mind. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm continually finding myself, I, I need to remind myself that I need to humble myself as I come to God's Word. I need to come hungry and needy, just like any believer ought to come to the Word of God. I need to come and worship and um, I find it very easy to get caught up uh, in reading about the Bible and reading about theology, um, uh, all the while bypassing the need to really think about what Scripture is saying to me mm-hmm. as a believer. Mm-hmm. And so I need to let the Bible speak. Uh, I suppose that's that's the obvious um, first, uh, uh, first place to go. And uh, in the saying of that, really for me it comes down to the fact that there is no substitute for the ordinary means of grace Mm. um, that God has given to us. Um, And also the fact um, that uh, becoming more conformed to the image of Christ doesn't happen solo. Mm. We need our brothers and sisters, we need the context of the local church—that's the matrix yeah. where where we where we grow together, learn together, um, are transformed together through God's word and and the breaking of bread and prayer, as it says in Acts two. So that's really the the I suppose the uh, the bottom line for me, uh, yeah. just activity in in the local church as far as we can manage it uh, in our busy lifestyles, but commitment to one another and mm. just working out um, the word of God uh, in our communal life.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, and I think this is the danger of separating these two things happens whenever we take scholarship away from the local church or mm-hmm. scholars away from the local church. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you've mentioned the, the means of grace. I'm going to take liberty and uh, offer a book recommendation, um, which is a book by David Mathis called Habits of Grace. Mm. And um, it doesn't touch on the issue of academic study and devotion to God, but it's just very helpful on all of these um, habits of grace, whether that's prayer, scripture, fellowshipping with church. And I found it uh, really helpful for me. So, yeah. Um, mm listeners will put a link in the show notes and uh, to this book and probably to um, the other books that uh, Sarah's mentioned by uh, Desi and Alec Mateer and uh, you'll be able to peruse those and possibly Mm. add them to your uh, to read list uh, which is uh, probably like the rest of ours ever growing (laughs) but um, a really helpful book just thinking about um, habits of grace and maintaining a devotional life. So we're going to press on from that and think about some tricky matters in in the Old Testament. Um, one of which I know you've been excited about ever since I asked you to answer <laughs> this question. Um, but there's an individual known as the Witch uh, at when uh, at Endor. Um, uh, in the books of Samuel and. Uh, I wonder, well, perhaps you could just orientate our listeners a little bit, maybe just in case they're unfamiliar or can't recall exactly. Just give us a brief summary of the narrative here. And the question that we got really was, was, did the witch raise Samuel's spirit? Was it a demon or is there some other explanation? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you could just give us a wee bit of a summary of the narrative, Mm -hmm. offer uh, perhaps your interpretation for it. Okay. And then after that, we'll move on to a broader question on difficulties <laughs> in the Old Testament. But we'll, we'll stay specific with this question at the minute.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, uh, it's an interesting one, but uh, just to set the story in, in its context, as you say, first <clears> of <throat> all, we're looking at, um, well, First Samuel 28, really. And we're looking at a turning point, really, in the history of, of Israel, um, Saul's reign, Saul is the first king. Uh, his reign is about to come to an end, a disastrous end. Um, he's facing a very substantial Philistine force. And when he sees the, the size of that army, um, scripture tells us that he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And so he turns to the Lord for guidance and for help but uh, to no avail, because we're told uh, that the Lord did not answer him. Uh, And that's a a solemn statement in Mm. uh, itself, but it really highlights the fact that having disobeyed the Lord's commands, Saul is now in a sense cut loose from Mm. the Lord. Um, Not only has God rejected Saul as king, But we're told um, in the text that the Spirit of the Lord, in chapter 16, the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul only to be replaced by a harmful spirit. Now that's a whole uh, puzzler in itself, but that's what the text tells us. Mm. At any rate now Saul attempts to seek the voice of God, uh, but his, his, uh, uh, his quest uh, is met with this divine silence. And so in his desperation, he crosses a, a, a theological rubicon and he decides to seek guidance from a medium. Uh, and that in itself is ir- ironic because he himself had uh, issued a decree that all mediums and necromancers be removed from Israel. Mm. Um, but he himself takes a couple of his servants, he uh, disguises himself and under the cover of darkness he heads actually into Philistine occupied territory and past it in order to access this mm. witch of Endor. He deceives her um, regarding his own identity and he asks her to bring up the spirit of Samuel from Sheol uh, the world of the dead um, so that he can get some guidance about this battle that's lying ahead of him. Of course, the medium hesitates. She's well aware of this prohibition. Um, But Saul promises to protect her uh, and he says, bring up, bring up Samuel for me. And then we're told that when the woman sees this figure, uh, she shrieks in shock And she also recognises Saul at that same moment. Mm. And I suppose we we have to ask ourselves, what was it that shocked um, the medium so much? Uh, Obviously and clearly something was happening that was outside of her control. Mm. I think that's the least that we can say. Um, And we could ask, you know, was it possible that previously her previous activities had called up demonic imitations let's say of a dead person's spirit but that this time she realizes that something much more real is happening. Um, One thing is clear um, from her reaction that this is an unusual and and an unexpected appearance. So that's really the story Uh, and we we we're all asking ourselves what's happening? What's happening here? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Including me? (laughs) Is this actually Samuel's spirit? A disembodied spirit? Um, Could a dark supernatural power really summon up the spirit of a a dead holy prophet? Hmm. Or was was this a demon impersonating Samuel? Well, we need to look more closely at the text, I think, and uh, just a few things to, to, to throw some light on this. First of all, this figure who appears is addressed as and called Samuel. Okay, mm. And when Samuel speaks, what does he say? Well, he simply tells Saul what Saul already knows. Um, there's nothing new here. Um, He simply tells him that God has judged him for his disobedience and that God has given the kingdom to David um, instead. Mm. In other words, the dead Samuel is saying exactly the same thing as the living Samuel Mm. said uh, to Saul. There's no new light here. Mm. And also in his discourse, he uses the name the Lord, Yahweh, seven times. I think that's significant as well. And he also adds this prophecy, which comes true the following day, that Saul and his sons are going to die on the battlefield. Mm. So, taking all of that into account, personally, I find it hard to conclude that this was some kind of um, illusion, some kind of visual, deceptive visual uh, illusion or some mm. demonic um, power, um, spirit deceiving Saul. Um, Samuel delivered a a prophecy that came true. He delivered words that he had spoken previously to Saul. Um, And so for me, the implication here is that the woman's actions somehow brought Samuel up from Sheol, from the dwelling. Um, of the of the dead. Uh, he says, why have you disturbed me? Whatever this medium was normally able to do or not to do, my understanding is that the Lord on this occasion permitted the spirit mm. of Samuel to be roused uh, for a specific purpose in a specific context. And you need to realise also that this is the only biblical account of necromancy of communication with the dead being performed. This is the only time that we read of it. So what do we take out of all of that? Well, I think we we should never underestimate the forces of evil. Um, But we should recognise that the Lord, Yahweh, is the supreme power and that demonic powers are no match for him. And we see that demonstrated uh, even as we look at the Gospels for example. There are lots of other questions in this episode um, (laughs) and uh, I I won't go on much longer. Um, We we just we have to say that some of those questions can't be answered or solved with with certainty. Um, The law of Moses prohibited necromancy. Those -hmm. who practiced it were to be stoned to death. Moses Uh, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, didn't say that necromancy didn't work.
0: Mm. He
1: said it was an abomination. Why was Mm. it an abomination? Well, for God's people to resort uh, to this method of trying to find some sort of insight about the future, um, well, that amounted to spiritual idolatry, really. Mm. Um, So the writer, 1 Samuel simply gives us the facts. He's not giving us a handbook on necromancy here. That's not his That's not his object. But what is it that the Holy Spirit wants us to see here through the biblical writer? Well, I think Saul's own words give us the answer to that question. 1st uh, Samuel 28 verse 15. God, he says, has turned away from me and answers me no more, as we said earlier. Mm. Saul's problem here is that he is without the Word of God. Mm. He's bereft of the Word of God and there's nothing more terrifying than that thought um, of being cut off uh, from communication with God and communion with God in the most desperate moment uh, of your life. Um, And then the other thing here also is that Saul has continued to defy God right to the end. um, And he meets Mm. his own end through his own rebellion. Remember what Samuel said to him a couple of chapters earlier? He said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Mm. And arrogance, like the evil of idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. At the time, that might have sounded like an over-the-top statement in Saul's mind. But what must he have thought when he actually saw in front of him God bring the prophet back from the dead to remind him mm. of that? So it's a very, it's a frightening story. Yeah. Um, we see Saul, the last that we see of him, apart from his death on Mount Gilboa, we see him walking away from God and into the night. Um, cut off from God and from his word. Um, it's a solemn story, but it's like every scripture story, it's a story that speaks and speaks mm. to us as well. Um, and in the, the frightening of a- aspect of it it, it, it brought to my mind Newton's words. Uh, Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Mm. And grace, my fears relieved. Mm. So we have got to see the grace
0: um, Mm. in the story. Well, it it is a sobering um, narrative, but uh, I think it's also striking that uh, Saul walks away from the Lord's word and then is seeking it and can't find it. Mm -hmm. And uh, how you've helped us answer it is by pointing us to the text. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that's a very good example, Sarah, of how important it is to uh, return to the text and Mm -hmm. um, dig into that. Um, It is a tricky passage, um, but throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, it is by no means the only tricky passage. Um, You're starting to sweat. I'm not going to ask you to walk (laughs) us through all of them. (laughs) But as we read our Bibles daily, as we um, hear people preaching on Old Testament passages, there's lots of tricky uh, passages, lots of difficult knots to try to untie. And I wonder if there's any kind of Overarching principles to approaching difficult passages. I suppose I'm asking particularly in the Old Testament because that's Mm -hmm. what you teach, but I suppose it can be applicable to the New Testament and difficulties there as well. But maybe just some overarching principles to keep in our minds as we come across difficult passages like this.
1: Well, just as you speak there, I suppose the very first thing that I would say is that, you know, the Old Testament, (laughs) the Old Testament is written over a a long period of time, but it's written out of a culture uh, or cultures that Mm. are entirely different from from our own. Um, And there's a historical context and we've got to read Old Testament scripture in its historical context and cultural context. Uh, we believe firmly, and I suppose this is probably where I should have start, started, we, we hold to a high view of Scripture's authority mm-hmm. and uh, divine inspiration. And, and that's where we begin. Um, but we know that God communicated his word uh, through men in their own historical context. So we've got to remember that aspect um, as we look at passages that seem foreign and distant And difficult to to understand. I suppose another very basic thing is the fact that we need to pray as we come to God's Word. (laughs) Um, It seems obvious and yet um, it's the first step in in the study of God's Word and if, as we believe, the Bible was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit then we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate uh, God's Word and, and, and to help us to see what it's saying. Uh, to us. Um, The next thing that I would probably say is context as king, and I've already touched on that, Mm. Um, but simply really to underline that we should never look at a single verse or a particular passage in isolation from the rest of Scripture. Uh, We've always got to keep the bigger picture in view, the, the, the complete jigsaw puzzle, if you will. Where does this p- piece fit in that picture? And that's what we mean really by, uh, by reading also contextually, whether we're talking about the historical context or the, the, the theological or the literary context. Mm. We'll see where it fits uh, in line with everything else. Um the story that we've just looked at, for example, the, the story of the Witch of Endor is part of a really a developing picture that that is the story of the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, that from his body and Sarah's would come um, uh, a, a line of, of kings, uh, but not just any kings, mm-hmm. um, uh, God's covenant, as we know, was with David and with David's descendants. So, got to, got to see the, the small story, the part, in the light of the whole. And again, just another principle which feeds into that and comes out of it, is that we've got to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Yeah. Um, so, when we encounter a difficult verse or a difficult passage, um, we don't try to make sense of it in a way that contradicts another passage that is clear. Mm. Um, if if something's confusing, uh, difficult to understand, then we need to go to other passages that are clear and use those clear passages to help us to interpret the difficult ones. Um, just a quick example. Yeah. Um, People struggle with the the legal material in Deuteronomy. Hmm. It seems very detached from us, and sometimes fe- seems seems very strict uh, and and almost frightening in, in some of the the um, the penalties that are involved there. Um, I'm thinking of the the story of the or the law rather concerning a rebellious son in Deuteronomy 21. And the fact that um, if he shows disdain, disregard, disrespect for his parents, if he refuses on an ongoing basis to be obedient to them, um, then he's to be taken to the city gate and stoned. Hmm. Now that's a pretty stark uh, example of parental discipline, <laughs> um, which actually we need to we need to note. There's no record of that actually having been carried out in Uh Scripture. But we've got to see that as a law that is preventative in its intent, Mm. but also a law that reflects the fifth commandment. Mm. That is uh, an outworking of that principle that we read in the the commandment that we honour our father and our mother. And also, in Deuteronomy, we're looking ahead to life in the land, it's, it's really looking forward to safeguarding the the kinship structure that is mm. such a strong feature of Israel's life uh, in, in the land. Just an
0: example. Great. Well, that's helpful. It uh, helps us to think about um, just about those principles and how to apply them then to an actual actual case. Um I'm aware I don't want to paint a overly negative picture of the Old Testament, so we've talked about problem passages and how to approach them, um, but it's not all um, doom and gloom or hard or difficult. Um, so I want to ask you, in your opinion anyway, um, what, what do you think has been the most exciting or one of the most exciting developments in Old Testament scholarship and study over the last decade or so? Um, Re- recently, anyway, um, what 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 aspects of Old Testament study have you found exciting as you've watched them unfold or mm. uh, participated in that?
1: Okay, um, yeah, I'm wondering if uh, many of our students would would see the word exciting and Old Testament together in one <laughs> sentence. But yes, there are exciting things going on. Um, and there have been for quite quite a while and I'm just talking in very general terms um i i in, in the time that i have been teaching old testament I, I i can see that there is a a generation of scholars who are in many ways are turning the tide in old testament studies mm. in the sense that they're they're pushing back on what was the, the status quo. They're responding, uh, you might even say reacting to uh, liberal critical scholarship, radical critical scholarship. So, um, you know, in, in in the late 19th, early 20th century you have a, a very strong tide of critical scholarship that um, takes a, a minimalist approach to Israelite history that really dismisses the Old Testament as as virtually worthless in terms of reconstructing the history of, of early Israel, for example. Mm. You have scholars who break the, the Scripture text down into tiny fragments of so-called sources mm. um, and undermine the unity of Scripture. And in more recent years, we, we see a, a fairly steady stream of... Um, uh, challenges within the academy from scholars who are working from an evangelical uh, standpoint, challenging these presuppositions, hmm. uh, in, in an increasing number, and challenging them rigorously um, with with solid research, hmm. um, and not being afraid to challenge them. And oh, yeah. I think that is a that is an exciting uh, development. Um, just this, this steady flow of good literature that argues for uh, the unity of scripture as a whole mm-hmm. uh, the unity of individual books and and the coherence of the whole yeah. um uh, and then, and the function of those individual books within the their wider corpus uh, i think all of that is very exciting and and um, even what's happening and you'll know this very well maybe in terms of Sam's study mm. to to look at the possibility that there is a, an ade- a, a, an agenda that, that has shaped mm. the Psalter uh, and that that we can trace those themes right through um, the, 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 the five books of the Psalter that that kind of thing is, is exciting um, And then obviously the many publications that, that are coming out that have been coming out that are dressing the the discipline of, of biblical theology um there are lots of examples but one example maybe the 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 series i call it the silver series um, new studies in biblical theology which is uh, coming from within the the, the framework of what we might say confessional evangelicalism mm. um, and, and looking at, at a whole Bible theology um, from, from theologians who are big picture men. I think that's yeah. really exciting. Um, so we're, we're working on the parts of the puzzle but we're working also on how yeah, they fit really. together. And then, sorry, just a younger generation of, of theologians, uh, Old Testament scholars coming through, producing really good work. Um, one example of that, I suppose, uh, uh, is um Jason DeRoshi, um, mm. who was with us recently for our um QD Brown lectures, um, and that's that's encouraging to see that yeah. kind of standard of academic rigor coming for sure, to bear. For sure.
0: That's great. Uh, I think you've done a good job in selling the Old Testament and uh, lots of exciting developments. And uh, I'm particularly pleased that I have you on record saying you're excited about my PhD <laughs> thesis. So uh, I'm going to take that clip out of the podcast and keep that at home for me. Um, no, that's great. Um You'd be glad to know we're on to our final question now. Um, and uh it's a lot easier because it's hypothetical, um, <laughs> <laughs> as you well know, at the business end of a semester. Um, but if you if you had unlimited time and resources, what academic work would you love to produce? Um, so if we were able to clear your teaching schedule and uh, you had access to a, sure. a library of all of the materials and resources um, that you could ever want. Um, if you thought about maybe producing your magnum opus, um, <laughs> what, what would that be Sarah?
1: Ooh, well it's just as well as a hypothetical question. <laughs> um, do you know um, you gave me the, the heads up on this one and I had real difficulty trying to trying to just focus my thoughts on one particular area that I'd really like to, to research and see if I could make a, any sort of contribution. Um, there are a number of areas that run through my mind, but I'll, I'll pick one, and I suppose probably foremost in my mind would be Deuteronomy studies. Okay. Uh, I'm just again excited by the amount of material that's now being devoted to Deuteronomy, mm. and I'm not. I don't know if I could contribute anything uh, to what already exists, but the Book of Deuteronomy I think is a, is crucial in the Old Testament, and I suppose if if I could make a contribution in Trying to encourage, uh, not only um, a- academic scholarship, but the people in the pew to look at this book and see mm. its um, uh, its its importance in the Old Testament corpus, its influence, um, on the likes of Jeremiah and, and yeah. other prophets. Um, it's it's agenda really for Israel mm. of the day, but also. Um, the principles that it sets down that are, I believe, still applicable yeah. in, in, in terms of principles. So that would be my first choice. There are a few others down the line, but hey, it's hypothetical.
0: Well, <laughs> well we've, we've got time. What are the others that you might like to... You don't need to go into as much detail necessarily, uh, but what are the other areas as well?
1: Well, I suppose, to go back to Matthias' uh, commentary on Isaiah, I love Isaiah. Isaiah mm. has always been... Uh, uh, if you can have a first love of an Old Testament okay. book, Isaiah is it. Okay. And, yeah, Very that good. would be something
0: I would think about. Okay, excellent. Well, we we should say that you are published. You published a, an essay in a fest script to uh, T. Desmond Alexander mm-hmm. last year, two years ago? Yeah, last oh, no, a year, year and a half ago. A year think. and a half ago. Okay, which is the, the first script is entitled The Seed of Promise, um, so you can read some of Sarah's uh, work there um, if, if you wish to, and we will uh, put a link to that um, in the show notes as well. Thank you, sir. That's all the difficult questions over so you can uh, relax for the rest of the afternoon or move on to whatever's next on your to do list. Um, I want to thank you for your time, not just this afternoon, but also preparing um, for for these questions that I've given you. Really appreciate that uh, and appreciate your input there. Um, It's great to have you. And uh, if you want to learn more about Deuteronomy from Sarah and can't wait uh, until there's something published, then you can sign up at the college because she teaches a module on Deuteronomy and uh, you come along uh, and hear from her. But thank you, Sarah. And uh, thank you for listening to the Irish Baptist College podcast. Uh, The college is committed to training men and women for gospel service, both here in Ireland and across the globe. Uh, and so if you're interested in preparing for ministry at a theological college that is academically rigorous and vocationally focused then i want to invite you to explore the opportunities available to study theology at the irish baptist college you can do so by visiting irishbaptistcollege.org to find out more and i'm delighted to say that the college is now open for applications for september 2022 and perhaps we might even see you there